0: Yes, I know this is the first Sunday of Lent, uh, but because there was a snowstorm a while back and we had to cancel a Sunday, uh, I've still got one more of these Nehemiah messages to bring. And that is something that we bring here. Um, well, because we spent so much time as a church together reading through Nehemiah. where We had that for three weeks straight. There was a, a reading for every day that we went through where we read that together. And many of you took opportunity to be in part of one of those reading groups where once a week you got together and you read through Nehemiah with a group of other people and how all that goes. And we've been seeing how all of that plays together. For the story of Nehemiah, as an example of someone who had a life of active faith. That's what we've been considering with Nehemiah's story. How faith is something that shows up not just in what we believe, but in how we live. Nehemiah is an example of that. Faith that takes action in how he lives. So as we've looked at that, we've seen several examples in Nehemiah of how that takes place. One of the things we saw in the first week we looked at this, we saw the way in which prayer was such a part of Nehemiah's life. Not just prayer that brings his requests before God, we saw that in Nehemiah, but prayer that is formational, right? Prayer that molded and shaped Nehemiah's heart in the way that he lived. That kind of prayer we saw as an example in Nehemiah. And if you read through Nehemiah, you saw how again and again and again Nehemiah turns to prayer over and over as such a part of his life of faith. We also saw the way in which faithful obedience was important in the life of Nehemiah. The example we looked at came from Nehemiah chapter 5. That was an example where Nehemiah responds to the needs of the poor who are being oppressed by those who are wealthy. Nehemiah sees this cause of justice and compassion and mercy and he responds in faithful obedience. Not just because it was the right thing to do, but because it echoes God's heart. Faithful obedience and in the life of faith for someone like Nehemiah, faithful obedience meant I need to act upon my faith with the same heart that God acts on behalf of his people. So as God has a heart for justice and compassion and mercy, so too Nehemiah demonstrates action that comes from a heart of justice and compassion and mercy. That's what it means for Nehemiah to be faithfully obedient. And now today, one more. One more feature in Nehemiah that we're going to see as an example of the way Nehemiah has an active faith. And this has to do with Scripture, the Word of God. That Nehemiah had before him a a plan for how God's word was going to be a part of not only his life, but the life of the people around him as well. There was a practice to it that he engaged in. And like all these other examples, it's formative. right? It's not just reading the God of word for, for knowledge, to learn something new, or it's not just reading the word of God for correction or instruction, but it's Formation. It's reading the Word of God to be formed into the image of God. And we'll see that example as that comes through here today too. All right? So, I am going to be reading today from a couple of different places. The first place I'm going to read is in chapter 8, a few verses there. And then I'll I'll jump ahead and read just three verses out of chapter 9. These are examples then of how the Word of God, Scripture, plays into the life of Nehemiah and the people in the story of Nehemiah. Okay? Before I read that, let's pray together. Lord, as we open your word today, we understand that these are words written long ago, but the truth of these words endure yet today. So as we read these, may your spirit speak to our hearts to hear from you exactly what we need to hear today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading at verse 5 and read through verse 12 of that chapter. Here's what it says. Ezra, the priest, opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them as he opened it. The people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen! Amen! Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Honan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the law, to, to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, "Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength." The Levites calmed the peop- all the people, saying, "Be still." For this is a holy day, do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. And I'm going to skip forward to chapter nine in the first three verses. It says this. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Do you catch what's going on there? They, They all get together and they just read the word of God and they stand. So, What would it be like, I mean, if I were to say, let's have a church service, but let's do it like this. We're going to meet for half of the day, and I'm just going to read the Bible out loud, and you're all going to stand the whole time for half of the day. How many people would come to that, I wonder, right? But that's what we see here in Nehemiah. That's what they're doing. He calls all the people together, and they come and they gather, and they stand, and while they're standing, Ezra, who's the priest there in Jerusalem with Nehemiah, he just reads. He reads the law of God for half of the day while they're all gathered there. But let's remember, too, that this is before the time of print, right? They, they didn't all have a copy themselves and who knows how many of them could actually read and knew how to do that. So, so hearing it out loud was probably one of the only ways that they could ever take in the Word of God. And who knows how long it had been for these exiles who were away from the last time they had heard these words. So they have this reaction. You read that in this passage. They're overwhelmed. They're crying. They're weeping. We have not heard the Word of God in so long. And they react with these tears. Nehemiah, though, wants to take this event, this moment, right? God's word, scripture. He wants to take that and say, now let's make this something formative for us as God's people. Let's make this count as a part of our life of faith and how we, God's people, work together moving forward in faith with God's word, scripture, anchored at the middle of that. So let's consider what that looks like, right? Let's consider what it looks like for Nehemiah to put scripture in the middle of this formation of faith that he's living out with himself and with God's people there. We had some opportunities over the past month uh, for people to gather and read through Nehemiah together. And I know we live in a time when print Bibles are there for all of us, and I imagine most of us, maybe all of us, have our own copy of a Bible, and maybe it's a Bible that you've had for years, and, and you've scribbled notes in it or tuck little cards in it, and we've got ways of, of working through Scripture that we have developed. This past month, we had the opportunity to do that in groups. And I know that there's been opportunities in, I mean, in the years that I've been here, we've had moments where we've said, let's all read through part of Scripture together, and there's been a reading plan with things for the day. But this is one of the first times where we also said, and you know what? Besides reading through Nehemiah all at the same time on the same schedule, let's create some opportunities for people to gather together in groups and read it out loud together in a group. And many of you responded to that. We, We created a couple groups that we organized and had meet here, and then some of you took it to your own small groups that you're a part of and said, let's do it with our small group. And some of you said, hey, you just on your own organically formed your own group for doing this and found your own time and your own place to gather to do that. So many of us here had that opportunity. We got to try out what it was like sitting there around a circle in a group of people reading Scripture out loud together. And, yeah, Nehemiah, reading Nehemiah had some of those tricky places where if you read through this, you know the chapters that are just names, lists of names, that we just sort of went through and, all right, it's there, let's read it. All right, I will say that the group that I was in, uh, the group that Laura and I led, we cheated maybe just a little bit, and we used a audio Bible app for the parts that are just lists of names. So, I mean, if, if you think that's cheating, it wasn't my idea, sorry. If you, think that's, if you think that's genius, I can't take credit, that wasn't my idea, right? But we gave that one a go. Let's sit down with a group of people, and let's read passage of scripture out loud together in a group and it was enriching for us. Right? We, we found something of a little bit of a deeper meaning when we would do that together and, and then read through some pieces of that and then sit and discuss around the table together. Hey, what jumped at us and what did this mean and what did we catch? And particularly, I think I, I was interested by our group in that part where it was just lists of names. All right. So why are we just sitting here reading lists of names? What is this all about? And and so we wondered about that. We wondered in our group, so what's up with the list of names? Is Nehemiah just trying to keep an accurate historical account of things, or what else is going on? And, And through our discussion, we came to a place of just sort of wondering to ourselves, you know what? I wonder if this, for Nehemiah and his group, holds a little bit of accountability. Not only is Nehemiah calling the people to gather together and to do these things together, but he's putting their names down, right? He's making a list. Now your name's on the list. Now you're accountable. I mean, think of it in maybe in our own country here, America, some of our historical documents, right? That when the founding fathers of this country sort of charted a new direction and started staked a bold new claim, they create this document, the Declaration of Independence, and and they put their names on it. It's not just an idea now, but my name is on this. I hold to it. Something of signing a contract, almost in that sense, right? There's accountability then. When my name is on it, I'm accountable. So I know that Yeah, in my own life and maybe like many of yours, I've had opportunities of reading Scripture on my own, right? Having my own devotional life. And like many of you, I would say in my own life too, that practice has had its ups and downs, right? There's moments where I'm fully engaged and I've got the routine down and I'm going and it's enriching. And there's moments where, you know what, I drop it. And I'm not sticking with it. Or I'm just going through the motions of it. I'm doing it by myself. But I have found, and maybe you found this too, that when I'm accountable in a group, those ups and downs don't swing like that. Right? That when I'm in a group that's doing this together, there seems to be a little bit something more of a consistency that's there, that takes place. Because I put my name on it. I put my name to say I'm going to be a part of this group. And when I put my name down that I'm going to be a part of this group, that means I've got to show up because I said I would. And now there's more consistency that happens with that. Many of you know what that's about. You do. Because I know that many of you, you take time every week to be in some kind of a Bible study with other people. And you know what that's like. There's a group of you here who every Sunday morning after the service time, you go to one of the adult education rooms and you do Bible study together, sit around the table and work through Scripture. Some of you know what that's like because you're a part of Bible Study Fellowship, right? A a local, I mean, an organization where you've got local groups that meet together to do Bible study every week. We have students, high school students in this church who on Wednesday mornings get up early before school and go to the Van Ryn's house to have Bible study before school. When I was a teenager, that wasn't me doing that kind of thing. Get up early on a school day, earlier than I have to? We've got people here who know what it's like to take time, making room every week, to gather in a group with other people and read Scripture and study that out loud together for formation, right? For Scripture, for God's Word to form us to be His people. What does that look like then as we see this example in Nehemiah? Let me just highlight three features, all right? Three features of how Scripture shows up for Nehemiah in his life of faith and the people of God as we see it in these passages, okay? First one of those that we see, we saw it in chapter 8, right? They read from the book of the law, making it clear, giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. They weren't just reading the words and walking away, but they were asking the question, so what does this mean? Right? How does this apply? What's actually being said here in ways that help to understand what's being read. And the Levites all helped them do that. I I read that list of names of the Levites that were in that passage, that they didn't have to do this alone. They didn't come to a place of, I'm going to read scripture and I'm just going to do my best and try my hardest to figure out what this means on my own. No, they did this together with the group because it takes a group of people to do that. You know, I, I stand up here on Sunday morning and I, I give a sermon every week. And that's, I mean, we have a sermon in every single worship service because that's what a sermon does, right? We take a piece of scripture and then explain the meaning of it. But guys, I don't come up with all this stuff on my own. There's commentaries, right? There, there's people who've written about these things. So I, I spend hours during the week studying so I, I can take the wisdom of others and put this all together, that we don't do that on our own. But when we dig into Scripture and then ask, so what does this mean? How does this apply? We need one another for that. Right? It takes more than just me thinking by myself to really understand the meaning of Scripture. So we do that in a group. We do that together. That's the first thing we see, that interpreting what Scripture says is a feature that Nehemiah brings into the people of God there. Not just reading it, not just hearing it, but let's understand the meaning. Let's figure out what's behind this. And they do that together with the people. I read something just this week by Rich Volotis, and, and Rich is a pastor and, and author who's published books. Um, and here's what he had to say this week in one of the things that he wrote. He says, Some people are concerned about the lack of biblical literacy in our churches. I share this concern. But I'm more concerned with the inability of Christians to read the Bible through the lens of Jesus' story. One can be biblically literate and tragically not aligned with Jesus. So Rich is pointing to a couple things there, right? First of all, it's the number of people who simply have no idea what the Bible even says. No biblical literacy. They don't know what's in Scripture. But then Rich goes another step, and he says, and then there's people who, you know what? They know Scripture. They know what it says, but they're not aligned with the message. They don't understand the meaning. The heart of Jesus, that's behind it. That there's something real in that, that was not only evident back in the time of Nehemiah, right? That Nehemiah needed to address that with the people back then, but that's also something that in our world today that still exists as a need for us to address as well. Not just reading and hearing the words, but understanding the meaning and the group of people that it takes together to do that together. That's one feature we see. Something else that shows up in chapter 8 as another thing. Look at how they respond in verse 10. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our God. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah is giving a response Right? This comes after they spend that half a day all just standing and listening to the word of God. And they're all, they've heard these, these words that they haven't heard in forever and they're weeping. They're so overwhelmed by it. And Nehemiah says as a response, here's what I want you to do then. Don't, don't be overwhelmed by this, but celebrate. Respond in celebration and do that together as well. It's not just individual celebration happening there, but he's telling them, I want you guys in response to hearing and understanding the word of God, why don't you give your first response here a response of gratitude and thanksgiving, of joy and celebration, and do that together too. So he tells them, go eat together, have a meal, gather around the table, And for those who don't have enough, share, right? Invite others in. Make space for that, to do that together. Uh, If you were here back on December 31, Sunday, uh, I did a sermon that day on Ecclesiastes 3. It was New Year's Eve, and and it was sort of one of those days where I, I just sort of pondered, based on the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, what are some suggested New Year's resolutions for the church. And I said back then, based on Ecclesiastes 3, that one of the things we saw in that passage that I thought would be a great New Year's resolution for the church was we ought to eat together more often. We saw that in Ecclesiastes. And look at that. It's here too. In Nehemiah. Just gather around a table together and eat together more often. Could it really be that simple? A, A language of community that transcends cultural expressions. It exists everywhere around the world. Coming together around a table, together in community. As their response of thanksgiving and worship and celebration for hearing the word of God. They do that. Together too. Now I know many of you have expressions of doing this already, and you know what I do too. I mean, I've I've got my small group of people that I'm getting together with, and I'm sitting around a table with. I think the challenge here for us is broaden that hospitality, right? Where are people that I'm not connecting with? People who are maybe don't have a table to be gathered around with others. Because I know that many of you, you've got that same thing too, right? I know there are groups of you who every week you're getting together and, and sitting down and having a meal together. And that's not a bad thing, right? I, I don't take that as a bad thing. That's a great thing. I'm just asking us to consider, could our circles of hospitality just be a little bit broader than that, right? Who else could be there? Where might there be an opportunity to gather together in joy and in celebration as God's people because God through his Holy Spirit is working something through his people. And as we're being renewed into the image of Christ, we do that together. And not just the work of doing it together, but the celebration of it together as well. To note that. And a really simple way to do that is just to say, hey, let's meet for supper sometime, or let's just grab a cup of coffee and gather together around a group and do that. Right? That's the second thing. Let me look to the third thing, and this one comes in chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 2b, it says this, "...they stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors." Reading scripture together brought them to this place where they realized they needed to make a confession, a response of confession together. And I don't know what comes to mind when you hear that word, confession, right? Maybe you think like a television court drama, confession, right? When you, when you get to that point to where the person who was actually guilty and did the crime confesses, it was me, I did it. Right? And and now the judge and the jury and everybody learns, yeah, okay, there's the one who's guilty. And that's not exactly accurate to this because God already knows. There's nothing you confess to God that he doesn't know already. Confession means something a little bit different in this context, right? That it's finding a moment of being brutally honest before God brutally honest that I come before God and admit, yep, here's where I need help. Here's where things have not gone the way that I wanted them to and I can't fix it, right? Here's where my life stumbles and falls. And I need to be honest before God about that because only in being honest with God about that can my heart be in a place where I can then receive His forgiveness for that. Only in that place of being honest before God about how broken I am can I be in a place where God restores me in ways that only He can. And if I'm not honest before God about my need for God to do that, then I'm not appreciating the way that God's salvation comes to form and shape who I am. Scripture plays a part in that. I don't know how often we think about that, right? That Okay, I think about confession. I just think about the week I've had and maybe the things that I've done wrong and the failures that are there, and I've got my list of things that, yep, I'll bring that before God. This is where I need to confess and find healing for that. But where does Scripture play a role in that, right? How does the Word of God plug into that? That practice of confession. When it comes to interpreting Scripture, you know, often with people who are new to this, I start with just two basic questions. If you're new to reading Scripture and you wonder, how do I read Scripture? And when I'm reading a passage, how am I supposed to know what I'm reading? I try to steer people with two questions. The first thing I say is, for any passage of Scripture you read, right? Whatever the passage is, whatever you read, ask this question, what's the problem being expressed? Because in, in so many of these stories, and in the Psalms, and then in the poetry, and in the letters that Paul writes in the New Testament, so many of these passages, some kind of problem or trouble is being expressed. So for every passage of Scripture, start with that. What's, what's the problem? That's being expressed here. And then ask the second question, and how does God show up? What does God do about it? That's like Bible reading 101, right? Step one of, if you're brand new to reading Scripture, take those two questions into every passage of Scripture. And in doing that, right, in reading a piece of Scripture and asking the question, what's the problem that's being expressed here? What's the trouble that's going on, right? Where's the sin and the brokenness and the failure of people evident in this? The Bible means for that to be something that is expressed, that points into my own life. So when I read all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the very first sin that takes place with Adam and Eve, I'm not just reading about the failure of Adam and Eve, but I see reflected in what Adam and Eve did a failure that I'm a part of too. It's not just their sin, it's my sin. And when I see the people of God who in the wilderness for 40 years grumble and complain and turn away from God and lose faith and lose heart and just want to go back again and again, I don't just see their brokenness in that story. I I see my own brokenness in that story, right? When I see the people of Israel during the time of the judges who who, they have their good days of praising God and then they have their days of completely ignoring God and walking away and getting into trouble for it. I don't just see their failures in those stories. I see my own sin in those stories. That's what scripture is meant to do. It's not just stories about other people and what they did and how they were broken. But in every one of those stories, there is a mirror. Something we hold up and say, it's not just them. It's us too. We're broken like that too. And then in all of those stories of scripture, God shows up. Right? God does something. God addresses the brokenness and the sin and the failure. He gives the correction where it's needed. He provides the forgiveness where it's needed. He comes and lays down His own life where that was needed. Jesus came into this world, and He did that in a way that lived a perfect life that we never could all those stories in Scripture of all the people who messed it up that are reflections of us, Jesus came into the world and lived the right way, as we never could. And then because Jesus, who had a life that was perfectly righteous, took upon himself our sin, he took the punishment for that. Not anything for he did, but for us. For our sin, to the cross, Jesus takes that. And then in taking the guilt of our sin to the cross, what Jesus does there is, Jesus takes his own perfect righteousness because he lived a perfect life. He takes that perfect righteousness and he says, this is yours now. You get this. You are now righteous before God because it's the righteousness of Christ. We see that in Scripture. We're reminded of that in Scripture. That's what Scripture does, right? Scripture reminds us of what we would be without Christ. And Scripture reminds us of who we are now in Christ. That's what Scripture is for and what it does for us. Reminds us of that identity. I try to say that every week when we're here on Sunday. Every week I try to say in a sermon that very thing, that reminder that we need to hear and be reminded of over and over again of what Christ has done for us and who we are now because of what Christ has done for us. Scripture reminds us of that as we come to that over and over and over again. Nehemiah knew that too, right? He knew the sins of their ancestors, the people that had gone before them, confessing those things not just as their sins, but as a reflection of his own, as a reflection of our own sin, and recognizing that just as God showed up and gave salvation to his people over and over again as he was faithful to do in his covenant, that he will continue to do that for his people because he is faithful to his covenant. Scripture reminds us of that as a place that forms who we are as God's people. So, I've been talking a lot in recent weeks about the idea of making room. What it means to make room in our lives. One of the things that we make room for in our lives is listening and responding to the Holy Spirit. That God's Spirit is always speaking. Always. There's never a moment when God is not speaking to us through His Spirit, through His Word. We have opportunity to make room in our lives for listening to that. For responding to that. Nehemiah shows us an example of what that looks like through God's word. Not just individually as people, but together. As a group of God's people together. Making room to do that. And making a plan then for the word of God to be embedded as a part of that gathering of God's people together. And God then molds and shapes his people through that to bear the fruit of his spirit through what he does through his people. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and that we see that in the way your word is revealed. Lord, thank you that as we read that, that it's not just words on a page, it's not just instructions for how to live, but it forms us and it shapes us and molds us to be your people. And Lord, we pray that as we, your people, listen for your Spirit, respond to your Spirit, God, would you continue to work through that